Hello, hello. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Inland Inkars. It's another day, another episode. You got it, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we spoke to Saeed, who is um, an activist here in Iceland. We spoke to him for about almost two hours, uh, learning all about his story from where he started in Afghanistan to where he ended up here in Iceland. So, Mm -hmm. And it's a wild ride. Oh, yeah. He's like 20, 20, 21 years of age and he's probably experienced more than any of us will ever experience. Like the story is crazy. Mm -hmm. So we will be splitting up this episode into two parts. So in this week's episode, we'll hear about his journey from Afghanistan into Europe, Mm -hmm. um, into Greece, amongst other places. You'll hear more about it later. And next week we will hear about how he managed to get to Iceland and what he's been doing since then and the work that he's been doing for refugees here in Iceland. Exactly. So let's jump into it. hometown it sounds already really nice yes <laughs> yeah so maybe let's 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 just start from the very beginning so i was uh so my family was kind of a, a rich family honestly like sometimes i would see my my dad would come in with a bag full of money at home and they would just carry inside the rooms and we had everything we needed like we were like kind of like a and my family was kind of my dad was head of the community as well so that's how our life at the beginning started and then <clears throat> And where, where where was this? This yeah. is in the north of Afghanistan, like uh, a city called Mazar Sharif. Mm-hmm. But then just you, it four hours away from Mazar Sharif. So it we we were living in a very small village at the beginning, and then the village kind of started growing, and that other families started coming in. So then my father started thinking of like, okay, we should have a school, we should have a clinic, and our roads should be better. And actually, there were certain projects like a foreign people that were working there, and then they kind of like get into cooperation, and they started building roads, bridges, and actually there was a really nice school came into our village. So we had a school, and we had a clinic. So I was a good student. I was like a I was good and bad student, actually. <laughs> I used, like when we were going in the morning, like we would just run through the middle of the village and it was early in the morning. So we would wake up everyone, like there were a bunch of us, and we would just keep shouting while our way to the school. And the dogs would run after us making noise. And like people would just start saying bad words from the homes. Shouting, what? It's six in the morning. What <laughs> You crazy children, what are you doing? And so many people would run after us to catch us. But, yeah, but we would go to the school. But but I was really good at in school. Like I was really good at math. Yeah. So like now I see I wish I can be that good now. But I'm really to suck at math now <sighs> in school. But back then I was really good. Like I would just stand up in front of a whole class and I would just do the maths in two seconds and my teacher would come and grab me and kiss me on forehead. It's like shame on you to all their students. Like look at this kid. <laughs> The golden child. Look at this kid. Like it just shame on you to the older students. And yeah, actually that was pretty fun. And and how old are you? So just yeah. to contextualize, when are you, when in history are we talking? So we're talking between. So I was born in year two thousand. Mm-hmm. So we're talking in between from two thousand six. That's my life started. Mm-hmm. So between until two thousand twelve. Okay, because that's when I left. Mm-hmm. So in this period of time in this six years of or six to eight years like my life kind of like turned upside down so we were like a kind of in the t- here in the top doing everything great and suddenly everything dropped 
So that's how it dropped it. There's a whole story behind it. Because uh, when Taliban was defeated in 2001, when the Americans come in, so kind of like uh, people were, so many people were replaced when they took over in 1996. Uh, when they had the country, like the control of whole country, so there were people run away from their houses. So, so many people went to different villages and there were so many people that was replaced, including my own family. And my, I was, my mom was pregnant with me while they were running away from the village. So they were like a, trying to hide and find a safer place to live. So we went to a village very close to Turkmenistan's border. Like it was an hour away from Turkmenistan's border, like where my family lived for five years and I was born there. So they were using like a Turkmenistan signal, like as an internet, like they were watching Turkmenistan TV channels, like everything was there. Their power was given, like the normal electricity was coming from the Turkmenistan. They were helping actually the, the, the other side of the border that was mm. really living close to the border. So we lived there for five years and then the Taliban was defeated and then we, we came back home. So when we came back home, then at, I was born and I was around like five years old and then we kind of started school and stuff. And then our life kind of started like a, going better. Like uh, we were going to school, my sisters, and we were all like, a, we, we had like a girls' school and boys' school. Everyone was going to the school. And it was really nice. Like I could see the differences now. Like people were really open-minded back then. Like so good. Nobody minded anything. Girls were going to the school. Boys were, boys were going to school. Like we were learning and it was so fun. Oh my God, we had a lot of students in the school. Like... There were four different tents, like there were like each tent could host five hundred students and they were all full of students. Okay, wow. Well. So none of them were empty. Like so many people were so excited. There were so many different kind of games were going on in schools. So like we used to do like a running and we used to like a play like we had we have something called buskashi like you do uh, you grab a goat or like a lamp so you just uh, grab it on the horse so there are like almost hundred of horse on the field so there is a circle like they they kind of make a white circle and then you have to grab the goat from the other side of the field and bring it put it in that circle so there are hundreds of horses trying to get that oh and there is someone on the top and bring it and put it in the oh. circle so everyone is running through and there's you have your own team supporting everybody's shouting supporting that's um, hilarious yeah. I played hopscotch yeah. <laughs> and I played jump rope and, yeah. and you played get the sheep in the circle yeah. <laughs> so yeah kind of like it's so many games and then beside that like we had like a kind of like a rope race you just yeah. grab it with six seven people in one side and yeah. it was fun actually like uh, so we had our like uh, actually we have different new years than you guys so oh i didn't know that. our new year's mm -hmm. the first day of the spring so ah. that's the when the actually the beginning of the spring that's the first day of the new year for us is that an afghanistani uh, yeah it's uh, from, uh people in uzbekistan uh, in iran afghanistan tajikistan uh, these are the four in Pakistan as well like not usually but Pakistan also like certain parts celebrates that we all celebrate on the same day so it's like the first day of spring is meaning of the first day of the new year so the year is changing what so do you what do you do on uh, New Year's so we do a lot of things uh, actually so uh, there are games we play many different kind of games but then there the girls comes outside as well and they play songs like with the wait uh, they make something i don't know how to explain this like uh, it's kind of like uh, this instrument like you hit on mm -hmm. and it makes noise drums uh, yeah drums but this is not like a drums okay. but they make it with it the, they kind of like a plate with a hand mm. we call them like a dap so it's okay. like a uh, it's actually it's from the skin of the animals they make it okay so they kind of like dry the skin and then they put it on the kind of uh, on the 
Is it wood. quite flat? Yeah. So okay. and then they just kind of play on it. Ah. And that's really nice. It makes huge noise, actually. And then they mm. come outside and they play music with them and they sing and everybody dance. And like it's like the guys and guy, girls all get together and dance. And they actually, everyone comes together and they make food mm-hmm. as well. And then they kind of like sit together and have food. So the entire day we spend outside. Wow. So for a whole one whole day. It's really fun. I mm-hmm. mean, those days were like one of the greatest memories that I remember. So... Then after, so after around 2012, it continued like this, like until 2012 and 13. And this is when the Taliban started kind of regrowing again. But your family was also quite instrumental in kind of building up the village, wasn't it? Absolutely. Because so it was like uh, my family, my dad was a school teacher and my uncle was a senator. Like because uh, we, my brother was married to the niece of a senator before, mm-hmm. so kind of we were kind of a governmental family. So mm-hmm. we had a huge role in the government. So we also people really used to listen to us. And like my dad used to be like a kind of leading the whole community to a better better ways. And also my uncles were involved. My brothers were like my oldest brother was a secretary of my uncle that was working with the with the senator in Kabul and then my second brother was a police officer and so we we were kind of like a like a, he was like kind of a te- leading his team in like a police section so we were kind of like a entirely involved in government mm-hmm. and and for that reason we had earned a huge respect from our family that wherever we used to go people used to listen to us and like there were things like usually was changing for people and when there were people that was enemies like they had like a, this enmity going on against, against each other for years and did my dad kind of solved that and they were not enemies they were friends and there were so many people like kind of like had borrowed money from other people and then they were just not able to pay it and my dad would just go and pay the money and it was like okay, okay wow. just let's make it peace so yeah for that reason and it's still it's still are it's still my family has a huge respect in the village like still people respect us because of where we are standing and today I, personally myself like every year on the celebrities like a new year and like in Eids like we have two Eids like Christmas like Muslims celebrate usually all around the world like there are two Eids like, we, like a Christmas there's a family gatherings we gather with families, we go to the mosque and pray together and then we come back and sometimes we sacrifice a sheep or a goat in, the, in one of those celebrations. So in these two celebrities, like two, two celebration days, I actually kind of send money from here as well to the orphan and to the widows in the village that cannot afford certain things because they have to buy new clothes mm. their, to their mm-hmm. children and they have to sort of prepare certain foods and stuff because it's like a Christmas, you know how it works. So mm-hmm. they have to buy gifts and stuff. So I kind of do my best, like maybe two or $300 that I can send and I just ask my younger brother to like, kind of distribute the money. Mm-hmm. And we always do that. And actually I send some because I have my older brother in Dubai and I have another brother in England. So we kind of like brothers, we gather some money put together and just send it there. That's and so nice. That is really of, yeah. nice giving back to the community yeah, a little yeah. bit so just kind of for that reason like we have my family had always earned this place in the society so mm-hmm. we still have that place and okay. people kind of look up to us yeah. and also I think I'm the only guy that from my entire village that I'm in Europe so like no one had ever like came that far yeah. okay. that far north yeah, <laughs> well. you're pretty north now yeah. <laughs> it's, much, it's hard to go yeah. much further yeah absolutely <laughs> I'm curious like, I mean people comes to Turkey people comes to like goes to Iran and like yeah. but they never have crossed that far mm. north so no. <laughs> you're, the, yeah, you're yeah. the northern boy now <laughs> yeah absolutely and then like yeah and actually I kind of like uh when my dad used to go to the meetings, like community meetings, he always used to take me with him because I was a favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> the math, the great math. Yeah, yeah the math golden child. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I have older brothers, but uh, uh, so I have two, one twin brothers that are younger than me. Twin brothers? Yeah, okay. they're 16. But yeah, the rest of my family is like, I have three sisters and 
four other brothers. We are nine to all of us. Wow. But nine. Only, yeah. But they're all older. Only this twin brother is younger. And they were too young at the time. But so I was kind of like the new guy and new youngest one. And I was a favorite one. My mom used to love me a lot. And actually, they, I was really you still spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> you still used to love you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, they have a yeah, younger favorite one. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, exactly. You so got the twins. You <laughs> served yeah. by the twins. So, yeah, I feel like that like also <laughs> comes like double young, two younger siblings. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, like two and people now, take all the attention. Yeah, also my oldest brother has like a children now. Kind yeah, okay, you're so way, like you're way out way of beyond, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> are most of your so you have a brother in England, you uh, said, but uh, are most of your family still living yeah, in Afghanistan? Like, in I have one brother in England that's okay. older than me, two years, and then I have my oldest brother that just recently went to Dubai after the Taliban's occupation, mm-hmm. because it was kind of in a situation where he had to move out yeah. uh, because he was the um, kind of secretary of the senator, so they kind of look after goes after those guys, mm-hmm. and he had to just go. So yeah, but the rest of my family is in Afghanistan. So I have my brother's wife and his children, six children of my brother, and they're all young, like they were going to school. But then I have my two younger brothers, my sister, my mom, and my another brother that was paralyzed. Kind of like it's another story that I would say. So yeah, so it continued kind of until 2012. It's like everybody having fun, like mm-hmm. we were going together, like everybody was loving each other. People are going to school, and it was so cool. Actually, I was really enjoying the life back then, and. Like, you know, I was one of the most spoiled kids in town and I could fight anyone I wanted to. I had the best motorcycle bike and I would just dress as I wish. It's like nobody was really asking me anything. I would just spend a lot of money all the time. But then it just suddenly when the Taliban started regrouping, they started coming to our village. And first they actually started like trying to like collect some tax from us. So they were like asking for a tax. If you don't pay the tax, they were like, we are going to attack your village. Okay, I'm going to ask a stupid question. Definitely. So the Taliban... So the Taliban was must have been slowly creeping in then yeah, on the towns absolutely. because they've just taken over. Yeah, Kabul. they had just like a yeah because at the time back then they were not strong, but there no. was government forces in the village all the time. But then when they started regrouping, they were like a coming in a very few uh, members, like a three, four in each village, just sending a message in, like you're like yeah, you have to give me this much of tax, otherwise I'm going to attack your village. Okay. So kind of people were scared and people had already built lives and everybody like. Uh, Back then, like uh, when before Taliban in 1996, before they take over, people were living in a kind of old house. But then after when the Taliban were defeated, people came back to the village. Everybody was building a new house, including my own family. We built a huge new house with 20 rooms, like with a separate bedrooms, like two guest houses. And there was, it was a huge thing. Everybody was spending a lot of money because everybody was starting a new life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when they started regrouping again and then they started coming to the villages, so actually, it took them like a few years to kind of regroup. Yep. And then they already had my village in 2014. They had the control of my village. And the first thing they did was like kind of like destroyed my my school. So there were no school anymore. And the girls were not able to go to school. The boys were not able to go to school. So life kind of started going like a back. And then I lost my dad. It was in that period, like when my dad kind of died when he died and then we kind of lost another like important person in our family and then there was a there was an attack on my family which left my brother completely paralyzed like permanently he's like uh, older than me and the brother in england so he's been paralyzed since then and then kind of attacks keep carrying on like on people and two of my cousins that were 22 23 were killed in one day after like in 2014 and like this is kind of like a it was like a really horrible situation like I, anywhere any time that i would leave home i had to carry a carry again for my own safety and i had to like a, then anywhere i was passing through i had to just pass i would see like dead bodies laying on the ground 
And so many times, like, they were, they, they were going in the other villages and, like, arresting the kids of the kind of the people that were working for the government and just they would bring them and shot, in, shot them in the public and just to, like, make example if the people doesn't follow them. So it kind of keep going on for, the, for quite some time. And then it started kind of like they started kind of taking control of the villages around and then they kind of like a groping, groping to, to, to come to the main province, but still like a... The government was kind of backing up, like they were just not trying to fight them, and it and it started. This is kind of like they started regrouping again. And at the time, Americans released the the head of the Taliban from the Guantanamo Bay, and then they just he came as well in Qatar, and then the Qatar they give him give him an office, and they kind of like recognize them as an like an organization. So this is kind of like give them a huge power, and then there, here was when the trouble started and then they kind of started taking over some other villages and like kind of small cities and stuff so it did kind of like problem keep going on until 2000 uh, until I left in 2014 so the first time I left in 2014 I was trying to cross into Iran and I was quite young and actually at the time you're 14 years old yeah probably. And so I couldn't what? made it at the first time I had my cousin with me but he kind of we get separated on the way so I was left alone and how did, what, what made you, like, did you just leave on your own or how did that Yeah, how actually did that I had, uh, my family didn't, uh, my family were quite, wasn't quite happy about my leaving, but they had no other option because I was growing younger and there were things were going really like a, people were kind, they were kind of taking young people in for their own trainings and stuff and people were mentally really going to follow them up. Like they were being taught completely wrong, thin, wrong things than what as we stand for as our principles were completely different yeah. because I wanted my family to be educated family. I wanted my mm-hmm. sisters to go to school, but that wasn't happening there anymore. So there was no other ways for us to like a kind of continue life as a young child. Like growing up in that situation was kind of horrible. Every day I would see people getting killed. Mm-hmm. There were so many conflicts going on at the same time. Many times I get caught up in the middle of the conflicts and this, I saw so many people like carrying dead bodies and wounded people. So it was kind of like affecting me mentally. It, like my, I was like kind of losing my sight and it was so crazy at the time. And uh, one day I was coming back from like a bazaar. I was going to do some shopping for my family on return. So I just came and I didn't see suddenly just three people come. I was on a motorcycle bike and I was just riding and I came in the top of like kind of a small, uh, it was kind of a small hill. So I was crossing by, I just came in the top and I was kind of slow down. Suddenly three people came out from three different sides, heading straight the guns in my head. So just if I had just moved one meter, I would just be shot dead. And just holding the guns, I would like, just do not move. And I had my face covered because there was so much like dust. So I opened my face and they looked at me. They were like, yeah. And some of those guys, I didn't know who they were actually, but they recognized me of from who, which family I was. Like, yeah, he's from this family. Okay, just let the guy go. And then they just put their guns and they went back to their position. And then I passed through. Oh my God, that was so scary. And if I hadn't opened my face and just continued my way and they would have shot me that so kind of this kind of and then i kind of uh here the day after at the same spot someone was shot so well, kind of yeah they and were you're like, not old you're 14 years old yeah, exactly. when this is happening. And so and then i actually left so illegally we left throughout toward iran and then when we started like uh, going through the mountains oh my god i was on a way for 28 days the walking, just or walking, yeah, for twenty eight days. You and your cousin? Uh, no, my cousins. We get separated after, okay. like I think the day six on the border. Okay. So the rest of the way, I continued by myself. By yourself? Yeah. Wow. So and did you tell your family that you were leaving? No, uh, I was almost halfway through when I tell, told my parents. That really? I'm going. Yeah. 
Wait, but then how did they know? So did you just leave? I just left. I heard my cousins were leaving, and the next day I just followed them, and then we met in the city. And one of the biggest cities, Hirat, and that was very close to Iran's border. And from there we talked to smugglers, and then we just continued our way. I was like, oh my goodness! I was about to cross the border. My oldest brother called me to return. I was like, no, I'm now here. I'm not going to give up because. And then actually, I kind of regretted going on that trip because it was horrible. Like. you know, the, you know the Toyota Corolla cars, right? No. You don't know Toyota Corolla, like these cars, like they have this kind of thing in the back. Oh, yeah, when you yeah, put yeah. Your the bags, Corolla, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. then like in this car, so in the back where you put your bags and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they put four people, smugglers, in there, in the back. Jesus Christ. You, and then 12 people in the middle seat where there are three people are about to sit. So they put 12 people in the in middle seat. In a small se- car. In the, in the middle seat, four people back in the uh Kind of where you put the bags the boot, and stuff, yeah. yeah, in the boot, and then two people in the front seat. So it's eighteen people wow. in the car where you should oh carry uh, yeah. five or something. Yeah. Four people. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's they carry eighteen people. So I was all the time because I was smaller. They were always used to put me back in the in the boot in the boot. So I was always in the boot. So and how long was the journey in the car? So in the journey, one time it was uh, we started the journey first from Afghanistan border to Iran border. It was twelve hours in the night. And then after that, we walked for 24 hours. And then there was four hours on the car, of the small car, like when I was in the... And then there was another four hours. That's it. But the rest of the way was we were walking. So and you were with a group of people you had never yeah, met there before? Were all, right? Yeah, there were almost 3,000 people with me in the group. So okay. they were crossing the borders at the time. Because people were running away, everyone. So we were... And like, people were running away because the Taliban we were, were, regrouping were coming, and taking getting stronger. And they mm-hmm. were trying to get away. And so I, just, and then when we started the first crossing the border at, in uh, like Iran's border, so the first walk I started doing was like a, uh, it was like six in the morning until twelve in the night on the mountains. So it was the mountains are not like a mountains here. Like the stones are kind of like a knife. If you keep your hand, they're so sharp that just cuts. Like my mm-hmm. hands are completely bleeding all the time. And then I had shoes, and this guy that I bought the shoes from, he knew that I was going on this kind of way. I asked him to give me his best shoes that he has. He actually gave me the shoes in the price of a best shoes, but this son of a bitch that gave me the shoes was like so bad. When I started walking for the the 12, like six hours, they were ripping off. So my shoes were completely ripped off. My my feet were bleeding, and so I had that shoes on my way, and it didn't work out, and I had to like tie it off, like kind of, to just to, like it was literally mm. not holding on my feet and so I was in the top of this mountain in the evening like in the night it was kind of dark so we're not allowed to use lights because like if police sees so they come after you so you were walking in the dark and you didn't see anything and so we're on the top of this mountain and there's like a, if you fall from the, any of those mountains and so many people did actually like nobody really looked after them their bodies were completely like a kind of went down and I don't know Maybe they just get into pieces because it's so high mountains you're going through. So I was just walking through. Suddenly, I just, my feet kind of slip. And then I see there was just some, a big guy behind me. Like, a, so he had this long hairs, like black long hairs. The guy was quite strong and he was tall. Suddenly, he held me onto my shoulder, just put me back on the feet. I was like, guy, just watch out. I was like, and then he actually didn't leave me alone because he saw how young I was. So he so saved I, your life. Yeah, he actually saved my life. And we, he carried with me all the way through. And then it, until we were done with the mountains walk, and I, it was kind of really nice to, to have that guy, because I had lost my my cousin, so I was alone. And then we continued the way through, and then we made through our first uh, Iranian city in the one of the cities called Iran Shahar. That's like a very close to our border, so we were in that city, and then I was held captive for almost a week. 
So they they keep me in like this son of a bitch. Like I don't. I'm sorry. I'm using these words, but they were like it's so bad. Like they were coming every minute and they were beating us, and they were like kind of yeah. Ask your parents to send money. Ask your parents to send money. Like how am I supposed to? No, they were not Taliban's. They were like Iranian smugglers. The smugglers all the time do this. Wait, was it the smugglers uh, yeah, that was, took you? Yeah, they took me in the captive. C- yeah, held me captive in the Iran. So in the inside. So they the got house. you all yeah, the way they, there. We and all then we got. They got us all the way to the Iran. And when they realized in between, like I had no one, so yeah. they just because I was young and they just saw hold like uh, there was almost twenty people. They hold us captive in oh one house God. for oh. almost a week, and they were beating us. They were not giving us food, and they were just like. A, it was horrible and I was there for a week and they were just asking our parents to send money and then we found some ways and got them some money and then we just get out from there and we continued on our journey so and then I like it was just very close left like there was almost six hours journey left to my destination in Tehran I, I was arrested by police in the city and there were 102 people in the car that they that they, they arrested us all of us the for police there, illegally crossing yeah, the border. Yeah, illegally crossing the border. So the police there is, like, they're not policemen. They're just like, a, they're not human beings. They're just wild, savage animals. In like, Tehran? Yeah, in Iran. Like, especially the border guard. Like, they have many times, like, like killed people from Afghanistan on the borders. Like, shoot them to death right there. They have put people in the river, like, with a gun, gunpoint. Like, people didn't know how to swim. 13 people dr- were drowned between the borders, like there is a river that people had to cross with the boat. And with the gunpoint, they, they pushed people into those rivers that people get drowned. And like in this late lead, people were trying to run away from Taliban and many times they get into like a police was following them and their car get into a car accident. Certain people were dead, died at the same time. They're, and then, so my own story. And then they kind of like arrested us. So they take me to the police station. So in the police station, when I was, so they just called me, come here. So got clothes and take your clothes off okay take clothes off and they search all over so hold your your ears now sit down go up sit down go up they make him okay put your hands under your legs hold your legs making you chicken okay now now walk like that so they're just hum- humiliating just humiliating yeah. for no reason mm. humiliating why did you come and so this continued for the whole day they didn't so i've been like a away for 27 days so that's the 28 days and they have arrested me and they're doing that instead of making me rest and I'm just 14 years old they didn't even look at my age oh my they're gosh. just trying to do whatever they want so they kind of like okay after that so it, it was evening so where they make us so we're sleeping on just a ground nothing we're sleeping on the ground on police station so there is a ground on, on like a road so everyone's sleeping so there was this one guy he has this stick from a tree on his hand so he's just going around just hitting like this Going around for no reason. Going around and hitting. Going around and hitting. Going around. And I was sleeping. Three times he hit me in the back. And I had bruises for almost a month when I returned. So <coughs> after that, they the, the next day, there were some buses came and picked us up to take us to the border of Afghanistan to deport us back. So there were a few police officers in the car. So there was so there was one guy sitting next to me. And he, he actually had some trash on a plastic bag. She stood up to put this trash in the, those trash that he had to a trash bag there. And there was a side on, on the side. And the police came and he was like, okay, come here. And so he's standing in the middle of the bus and he grabbed in the two side and went like with his legs. I just kicked him on the chest. The guy went <sighs> back, fall down. He couldn't breathe for almost 10 minutes. He almost died. I was like, why are you beating him? I was like, why didn't you ask for permission that you can put your trash in the trash can? Oh, oh my gosh. God. So. <sighs> wow. 
yeah, this guys had no humanity at all. No. And then so they took me back and then I went uh, to the border and there were some guys from the United Nations there. And they they actually took us in because I was minor and I had no one. So the United Nations took me in. With They had a camp like near the border. How so is the relationship between like this uh, Iranian border guard and the UN? How can uh, the UN... Like the UN does not go on the side of Iran, but UN is on the side of Afghanistan. So when they deported us in the side and then there were guys standing in Afghanistan side from the UN employees and then they were asking people and how was the treatments and we we described everything how we were treated but you can do nothing like they don't really want to engage in that kind of conflicts and like uh, the afghan borders on the like afghan guards they hate iranian guards on the border because they know how they're treating us yeah. so like kind of like a, it's kind of your devastation is being used against you this situation is so horrible and those guys does not understand at all so I was taken in by the United Nations and they took me in, an, in a camp where there were minors and they asked us to actually give us a, a room and blankets and stuff and some new like a clothes and some soaps and like a, some toothbrush and toothpaste and stuff. So we went to, we took some showers and cleaned ourselves off, changed my clothes and then like the next day I had a cousin that was living in that city in Hirot and he came and picked me up from the United Nations camp. So I went back home. When my mom saw my bruises and she was crying for all day and I was like, why did you went and listen to us? And So then I was in Afghanistan actually until 2017 until like my uncle was killed. So like uh, my uncle was kind of replaced my dad, but he was like, the things weren't really going well, but still he was trying his best mm-hmm. to raise kind of funds for like, the, they wanted to create a community center where the people could talk about stuff. So he was doing some fundraising from other villages and stuff. So when he came one day from back from the... Uh, fundraising meeting and when he walked into the house there were people sitting into our guest house and we didn't even realize that there because our guest house was open always for people that was passing through there were always so many people like passing through our village and they just there looking for a place to stay in the evening and we never say no to anyone because mm-hmm. it's kind of a cultural thing like we never say no to the guests so mm-hmm. they can just come in the guest and we just take them whatever we have as mm-hmm. food we host them for the evening so we usually had our guest house, our guest house open so and then they were the children saw two people were coming to the guest house and nobody said anything because they we thought they were guests it's because normal. we usually yeah. had a guest like people are passing because our village is in a location where there were usually people passing through all the time mm-hmm. and then they when they spend time there are no shelters so they can just go to the mosque or they can just knock on some door and they were just we usually people host them so but our guest was house was always open so because we were living close to the road the main road so mm-hmm. the people would just come to the guest house and in the evening and children would take them some food and stuff so these guys came in and they were sitting there and then just when my uncle walked in and they just shot him dead there and then it was just, I was on the football ground and I just come in and I see that he was laying down on the ground all full of blood and he was hit 30 times with a bullet and those guys ran away and they got away out of village and nobody did anything and who, then after who, that do you know who these people were? no we, they were sort of like connected to Taliban but they never claimed responsibility for those kind of actions because they never like people like that. That is kind of like trying to encourage people against them. So they will get rid of you anyway. Did, so did they see him as like it was a target? Yeah, because he of was, a, he, was yeah. he was targeted two times. One time he survived. Like uh, one time he he was shot on his way that he was heading to the city, the main city, but he was hit on the left side of his kidney. But he he went through three different surgeries, but he survived. Oof. He didn't die that time. But then they hit him on the second round, so they got him. Like I think it's. It's hard to imagine, like the bravery of people, like your uncle and actually everyone in your family, that goes through 
like an assassination attempt and then continues to work for what yeah. they believe in. I mean, we can't give up because the country looks up to us. And if there are people not like us, you wouldn't even see those people or where they are. We have women journalists now. We have like a women parliament members. We have women in like in the government. So we have women police officers. If there were people not like my families, those people wouldn't be in power in the first place. It was not the Taliban that holds women back, but there is this mentality of kind of like cultural thing that women should stay back because people are not educated and we've been in war for the last four decades. And I don't blame people if they want to like keep women's back because of the, the cultural stuff because they have been in war for four decades. There is nothing for them to learn. Some people been like, what do you expect for someone who spent his entire life like with that sheep or goat. Like he never sees a school. He was never taught any lesson by his, by a teacher. He was never open a book. So what do you expect of this kind of person? Mm. So it's kind of like a rare when uh, when people start blaming those people and rather than helping them to get educated on subject. Mm, because yeah. you cannot just blame someone who doesn't know because mm, they don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Uh, how they should behave. If You cannot blame them because they don't know because we can help them to get educated on the subject. And But we are the entire world. We are staying here and watching them and criticizing them for doing what they're doing. But this is also our fault because they're like a country like Iceland like can host people from there and also like our entire leaders are women and they're doing nothing about the women in Afghanistan that are being like right now like a whip they're being whipped by Taliban and they're being like a kind of like slashed in the public they're being a stone to the public like what are we doing as the entire country is being led, led by women? Mm. So if this country is like that doing, then what examples can the, the countries take as the, that's being led by men? So this country is here in Iceland, like should do a lot more than what they're doing today, but they're not doing anything just because they're from a conservative parties, the leaders, and that doesn't work like that. But we still, we're sitting here and criticizing people there. Like, yeah, why he's not doing this for the women? Why? Those guys doesn't know, actually. They were never taught. They were, mm-hmm. they never see in schools. Yeah. So you cannot criticize someone mm-hmm. who doesn't know how to do things. Because if we are to go there, educate them, we could, it could make difference. Yeah. Like, like, like my family. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. my sister goes to school. Like, my niece goes to school. My entire family is educated. Like, we are entirely involved in, in every activity, whole family together. Like, look, we can do this to every family. Like, if I'm sitting here because it's because I am from an educated family, yeah. today I made my way here. Mm-hmm. But those, those people are, why am I not, like, doing anything against women? I'm, I'm one of the supportive, like, in my entire family. Like, we are always pushing through the women to go to, the, to, to, the, to our village to go to continue their education. Mm-hmm. But the other people are not doing because they don't know. And I cannot blame them for what they don't know. They Could they also taught. be scared? Yeah, of, of course, like... We cannot say that they're scared because those people are not scared because they don't know how to treat each other. You never hear the word like to somebody saying I love you to each other. They never express like a feelings for each other. They never, they don't know what love is actually. Are you talking about just people generally Generally, yeah, yeah, generally like those people doesn't know what love is actually. They're like a kind of everybody is busy with their lives, like they're going out looking after their animals, like they are farmers trying to survive. It's like you're just trying to work on the farms and trying to make their livings. And it's not like here, like a people are just goes on a daily work, but the people are just surviving on their pro yeah. farms. If they don't have farms, they would just spend their nights, mm-hmm. nights starving. Right. I mean, the situation right now, like what's happening is just kind of crazy. Yeah. So we go on my journey. So yeah, exactly. when, my <laughs> uncle, when my uncle was killed, and 
then I left Afghanistan. So I left this time to, from there were some opportunities. Actually, I was able to fly through to Turkey. We went to Ankara. And so there's a, some funny into this because we're, that was me and my friend because I'm native Uzbek. So we are kind of, we have a Turkic origin. So I speak Turkish fluently even though I have never been in Turkey. Okay, ne- yeah. Native Uzbek. Yeah. Okay, talk me through this. I don't so, know what that uh, means. The Uzbeks are the folk at the time of Ottomans. They kind of like a st- uh, get separated from Ottomans, and but they were once at the time. Like they're a country called Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of part of the same thing at back then. Like uh, there was a great Khorasan. It called like uh, the Khorasan was the countries like uh, Iran, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and the surrounding like Pakistan. These countries were one. But then when the countries started separating, they kind of get separated. But then we were kind of like left on the other side of the border. Uzbekistan in the side of Afghanistan. Right. So we're part of Afghanistan now, but we are native Uzbeks. Okay. We speak na- Uzbek and we speak all, but we're Afghans, Uzbeks. Mm-hmm. So we're the, a minority group. We're not a majority, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, when I hadn't been in Turkey, but because of my similarity, the language that we have in Turkey, so I already knew Turkish language before I came to Turkey. So I had a friend from Kabul who was a Persian speaking. And so he was like, you know, when you will land in the airport, so you just don't speak with them Turkish. I'm going to speak with them in English because there are not many people who speak English in Turkey. I'm just going to look really high. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went on the airport. So the guy that was checking us in, he knew some English. So he checked us in. So we went. So we walked the, the minute we walked outside of the airport. So trying to get a taxi. So he went on a ta- taxi driver. It was like, yeah, can you just take us in this certain location? He was trying to, the guy went like, Ben Ben English I was like I didn't speak to English. The guy was slowly looking at me and I was like, Yeah, I mean that's you know, now you just have yeah, to do it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, Show us your Turkish yeah, then, I guess. Like, now is your turn. I was like, but, sure. Um uh, so uh, could how was it that you were able to like fly to Turkey? Because I got a visa. So okay, time, so, so you so had applied yeah, and went I, through that process. I mean, because of my family influence, I got some people that were kind of helped out okay. to try to get that visa. Because it's not really easy to get a visa from Kabul to Istanbul. It's just okay. like if you're kind of like trying to get a visa. But yeah, I, I, we had some influence through it worked out some sort. So I got my visa and, and uh, that's, that's the point that I am kind of privileged than other people because we always had influence in government. So yeah. it just could help us out. Mm-hmm. So I flew to... Ankara airport, so from there, and then we stayed in Turkey for almost four, four to five months. And I was, I found this Turkish family that hosted me for some time. And I was working there as well as like a supervisor, like kind of, I had 20 people under me that was working there. They were all from Afghanistan, but they didn't, they didn't know how to speak Turkish, but they had they haven't been in Turkey, some of them for a year and a half. But then I was just quite new. And then the Turkish people would just come around and ask me where I'm from. And I was just saying, I'm from Afghanistan. And then they were like, how long have you been in Turkey? I was like, two months. And they would get really pissed. They were like, you can't just learn our language in two months. And then I, was, <laughs> I would explain my history. And then they were like, oh, why didn't you say that, tell me this in the beginning? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> they I thought know, you were right? a genius. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were like, okay. And then it was so nice. Like this family, actually, like it was really nice. And I kind of like made a lot of friends. And I kind of, I started dating a girl there. Kind of like first girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a girlfriend back in Afghanistan, but we were not kind of physically girlfriend and boyfriend. But no. we, I used to talk to the people. But yeah, then I, there was when, first time we started dating I started dating the circus girl so but she was super cute and that was yeah. so nice oh. yeah I mean uh, first we, love, yeah. yeah we used to work together all the time and it was it was fun I really loved that place and then they really insisted to, for me to stay but I was like no I mean I I would my plan was not to stay in Turkey because I wanted to move on it doesn't matter what my origin was but still I was an Afghan refugee in Turkey so I wouldn't get any like permanent stay there mm. 
So I would like, I was like, I'd like to continue on my journey. So I tried to, so we, what happened is so we tried to kind of cross into Greek border after four months of being in Turkey. So it's evening, we're walking through the border. And so when we came to close to the border and we are trying to like, there is a river between Turkey and the Greece, so we have to cross it. So we are trying to pump the bo- pump it both and the pump is broken. It's just we're two minutes away from the border to cross the river. Okay, so wait, there's a river and you have to get on a boat and you're yeah, trying on to... On a boat and trying to, yeah. You're so trying to inflate to the boat. Like kind okay. of, yeah, inflate it, like kind of pump it in and then... Were you, so who were you with? I was point? with a uh, kind of a friend of mine that had his older brother with his family and then kind of like another 16 other people. So there were 17 okay. of us together all in the one group. But what happened is so they were like, the pump was broken, so we couldn't inflict the boat. And then they were like, okay, we're going to return back to the forest. We're going to spend the evening there. And then we're going to call back from the Istanbul for them to bring us a pump. And we're going to cross uh, tomorrow evening. Sure. So they sent me back and they were like, yeah, you just go sit there and just keep a watch for the police if the police shows up. I was like, sure. So I'm just sitting back there and keep an eye and just praying to God. I was like, yeah, please just do not get me back because I've come too far here. Just mm-hmm. make me cross through. Mm-hmm. So I'm just doing my prayers and sitting there in the just dark in the evening and just my eyes are closed. but just still looking around. So what happened is because I was in the back watching the back to police not come. So they kind of came in. They were like, okay, now. Let's go, let's return. There was a small bridge, so people had to cross through. So when the half of the people crossed through, and I'm still in the back watching through, suddenly four police officers appeared. We have no idea where these guys came from. And they all started shouting for people to stay down, stay down, don't run away. And they got everyone, except me. So I hadn't crossed the bridge. I ran away into the forest and I lay down and they came after me. They put lights and they, st- they shouted at me. They were like, come come, come, don't run away, we are going to get you anyway. I was like, sure, I just put my head down and I, they couldn't find me. So they left. So you ran away yeah, and, they, and they heard that yeah, you were running the, away. Yeah, so I ran oh. away and I'm the only person made wow. through. So they, they got everyone else. This is a Turkish police that Turkish police, yeah. So I'm in the middle of the Turkic and the Greece border oh my just oh. by myself, <laughs> alone. Wow. So I'm hearing this noise. How did you hide? Like, would you just I hide? just laid they down. Okay. It was like the kind of, uh, the, it was, the land was kind of forming land. Yeah. And they had they had some forms in it. I didn't realize what it was because it was so dark. Mm-hmm. So I just laid under it so they couldn't see me. They put the light around and they couldn't see me. So wow. I'm laying under and then they just, the police left. And then, so I, I thought I could hear some noises. I thought some of my other friends ran away as well. I, I didn't think that I was the only person that who ran away. Because if I knew that my friends didn't run away, I would have just go and get myself for the police too. Because I didn't want it to be alone in the middle of no, the forest. No, that's because, not yeah. a great situation. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was so scary. And yeah. so... The and you're how old are you at this point? 17. 17. So, and then uh, I, I was like, okay. So, and then uh, now I'm waking up, standing up. So seeing like no one is there, trying to make small noises, uh, asking around like their names. Nobody's making any noise. So I went to the, the point uh, where like everybody was sitting and trying to like shout at them. No one is there. Wow. I'm trying to go around and no one. Mm. And I started like, it's so dark and I have no light, nothing. And I started feeling shaking. I was so scared, so, so scared. Like my hairs were like standing like this on my body. So I am so, and then I just stay in the top place and started shouting help. 
nobody's hearing me. Mm. I'm shouting in English, help. Were you not scared that the police were going to come back? No, I just wanted the police to come back because yeah. I didn't want it to be alone there. Mm. So I started shouting in Turkish, help. I started shouting in English, help. No one is hearing me. And there's nothing around. There's nothing around. Oh no lights, nothing I can see. Oh my see. gosh, wow. I don't know which direction to go if I mm. want to go back. So what I decided, so I had my backpack. Yeah. That was fortunately that I had carried with me. So I had a small blanket in me in my backpack. So I opened my backpack, I took the blanket out and I put it in my face. So I was like, we have the saying, it says like, my face doesn't see if the wolf eat my ass is fine. So I was like, that's the kind of saying. <laughs> just don't yeah, just, go forward with yeah, the blanket. Anyway, so I put I, <laughs> I, I took the blanket on and then I just put it on my face. So I just see nothing. Yeah. And I just laid. It's fine. It's yeah, exactly. I was like, what there? So I just laid on the ground. Yeah. So I seeing nothing so I try to kind of like sleep to just to get the, or the night and the day probably I would find some help so it was around like I slept I think for two hours like I didn't really sleep but then my eyes were closed so I yeah. was just seeing nothing so I hear like a kind of noises going around so I stood up I was like I made some I, one of, I called the guy's name some of them and I say like people are saying shh shh me down mm. sure I see two people are walking toward me and they just came and I went to them. I see they're not my friends, but they're another group of 16 people trying to cross. Right. It's just two hours later. It's just the next group. Oh yeah, the guy, next no. group. Okay. So I joined them. They were like, and they asked me who I am and whose guy I am and who's my smuggler that's supposed to take me up to. I gave a name and they knew each other and they were like, yeah, you can just join this group. And they took me. So we went to the, so they had a boat. So we went on the river and so I'm standing back there. So the smuggler looked at my face. When the first boat crossed with 10 people, the boat came back. So crossing the other people. So there are almost 30 people standing in the line. And the smugglers look at my face and just grab in my, in my arm come here and just push me into the boat mm. just make me sit there and just both move and I cross when we crossed the second boat was the boat was returning to pick the other people damn police show up no right way. on the boat right on the river because they cannot cross on the other side of the river so they get everyone on the other side of the river so wait the hold on side. they got your side of the river uh, no they the other, got the other side, side just because, I was, because I, the smuggler if he hadn't put me on that boat oh they would have got gosh. me too because it was just like a it was kind of meant for me to make through. Yeah, it was yeah. like my prayers were accepted. Fate. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. So the I so I crossed the river and then so we are coming in the we're coming through to the jungle. So it's so dark; no one is allowed to use lights. So, we're, but we are still trying to walk through. And there was a small kind of lake, like beside the road. And one of the guys fallen, and his clothes completely get wet, and it was so cold. It was like in October, mm. and it was so so cold. Like in the evenings, like it, you would shake. So we came like it was around six in the morning. We were on the Greece side, so we are sitting in a, up in the forest, and th they told us some people there are thieves here, okay. so we we should be careful. So suddenly there were three people came up. And they have a gun, and they just started pointing a gun at everyone, and they were like, "Don't nobody move." They took literally everything we had. Oh my god! Everything. Mm. I own my shoes. Everything. Like my shoes were wet, and I had the new shoes I was supposed to wear. They took everything. Oh Nothing left it. So I had like a hundred euros in my pocket, and I spent the ten euros, but I had the ninety euros in my pocket. So the guy, I didn't hide my money, but the rest of the people had to hide it. Anyway, they just beat them to so much that they had to take their money out. Mm. But I didn't want it to be beaten. So the guy asked for money and I just took him and gave him. I was like, this is what I have right now. If you want something else. And he took my phone and asked for the password, gave him the password too. I was like, take it. But still he beat me too. Still he had the stick and he just beat me so like five, six times. Mm. 
he literally left left me naked. Like he took all my clothes off. Like it was so embarrassing, like being in front of all these people, like in that age, to be like completely took my yeah. all clothes off, yeah. made me naked in this cold morning. And this, it was happening inside the Europe. So if you are thinking Europe is safe, so yeah, yeah. Greece. Yeah, so totally. they completely took off of my clothes, and I was just naked. So it was uh, actually I was kind of abused. They kind of abused me on that point, and I still can't get over when I think about those days. So I then we actually then this guys like took whatever they we had and they just went through. But then there was like this was a place where every group had to stop through to change their clothes to make to the buses to just to wear better clothes than on the way so go and get their bus tickets. Oh, you mean like this is what, when uh, the people who were coming yeah, over? Yeah, coming over, yeah. crossing from Turkey to Greece. So there were some clothes actually like the other refugees had left it. So we took some and then wear and came to the bus stop. So came in the bus stop and then this guy, uh, one of the guys that was our like a kind of that was helping us, our guide that was that helped us made through. So he had some money actually left and he asked, I asked him and he gave me uh, like kind of twenty euros and I asked him that there I have people when you you're back to Turkey, asked to these people they will give it to you your money double that what you're giving me here. Mm-hmm. And then he agreed, actually. He wasn't giving me, but when I asked him double, and then he just gave me the money. And I went and I met, I took my, I bought my ticket to the second city in, it's Alexandra. So I, I was coming to Alexandra. So I came to Alexandria. So there was a bus stop. So I had to come to Saloniki from there. So I'm standing in a bus stop and I have to buy my ticket to Saloniki and I don't have a money at all. So there were two guys from Palestine, and I don't know they were Palestinians, actually. They they had come from the Netherlands, they were visiting, they were, I don't know, they were tourists or they were in Turkey, and they were just returning back. So somehow they were just like a two angels that God sent. Mm. And so I was trying to buy the ticket, and I didn't have the money. And then I just saw these guys, they were speaking Arabic, and I just walked to them, and I asked them, I was like, hey, you know, I mean, this is the, my situation. I just I was got robbed, and my money's gone, and I, my phone is gone, and I have no idea how to make my way through. And he was like, how much do you need? I was like, this amount of money of the price ticket. It was like 35 euros. And he was like, yeah, they're the money. And he gave it to me. And wow. I bought my ticket. And then when I bought my ticket, so I, it was at four o'clock. But then there was this bus leaving right away. There was after five minutes, it was around two. And then I actually, I saw those guys were living in the bus that was leaving at two. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to get from Thessaloniki to Athens. So I thought like I, my, my, I should join these guys. Like there were other, some Turkish people there and I would just want to go in the same bus. Mm-hmm. So I came and asked the lady like uh, the, on the reception. I was like, hey, I mean, this bus is leaving now. Do you have a space in this if I can go? Because I could speak fluent English. So I could, yeah. I was able to communicate with them and it was pretty, that was really helpful. And then she was like, yeah, actually we have only one spot left. Oh, oh my gosh. Everything is like, Everything was at the edge. Wow. wow. So it was like only crazy. one wow. seat we have. I was like, just change it. Oh my god. And gosh. she suddenly changed the timing from four to two and I just went to the bus with this guys. And we made through the people that was coming to the second bus at four o'clock, they were stopped and they by police and they were taken no down. Way. Yeah, and then I made it through. So I well, you've got there's well, someone looking out for you. Exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. uh, that's why I have so much faith in God. So yeah. it's like a, he was always there when yeah. I called on him. So that yeah. was the only the God was the only thing at the time that I could pray to and ask yeah. for something because those kind of situations there was no one to help. No. Yeah. And so uh, we made it to, to Saloniki, and then so we we land to Saloniki, and I have a really good friend to, to in the Netherlands, and I had this friend. He's from Afghanistan, but he's Christian. 
So he had th- he knew this uh, lady from the Netherlands, and when she met me and she when she know about my family and stuff, she kind of like became a really good friend with me as well. So uh, like she was kind of helping all the way through to that we were crossing, and we were supposed to go to the Netherlands because of her because she was our friend. And then when uh, I was in Thessaloniki's uh, bus station, so I, I asked these two Palestinian guys that they were heading to the Netherlands. I was like, hey, I mean, you are going to the Netherlands. And just I gave him my WhatsApp number. I told him, like, if you can send your contact number to my WhatsApp, uh, when I got my phone, I will open my WhatsApp and I will get back to you. But I need extra 50 euros that to make my way because it was 45 euros to get your ticket to Athens. And I was like, I need extra 50 euros to get to Athens and I'm going to send you this money when I, you are in Netherlands, uh, when I get back to Athens and when I have phone and stuff and the guy looked at me and he took 50 euros out of his pocket and I was like "There, here is the money and you don't even have to pay me this <laughs> I was like just pray for us and I was like that's oh. it just take this money and I was like wow look at this I mean God is so merciful yeah. just took this money and I went and bought like a 45 euros my ticket 45 euros in my pockets <laughs> like a, and then I made my way through Athens so and it's one o'clock in the evening I land I came in Athens it was around one And there were two other guys from Afghanistan with me in the bus when we were coming from the Saloniki. There were three of us. We came in Athens and the bus dropped us in a square in Athens. So I've never seen a homeless guy in my life. So, so I'm quite young and in Turkey I was working in this village. So I, I have no familiarity with homeless guys because I knew there were four people in my village too, but they always had home. So we always used to help them oh, out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I had no idea that the homeless people existed. So we landed in the square. So uh, now we have no phones. We have no contacts to contact our guy, our contact guy in Athens to, to the hostel so that we can go there. And we have no address or nothing. So we were trying to like make r- some rounds to find some people to ask for some help for direction and stuff. So suddenly we walked into a street like a full of homeless guy. There are almost 100 people like homeless are smoking. I was so scared. I was like, what are yeah. these people? I wow. was like so scared. And some were looking like staring at me. It's my first time in Europe. And I was like, I'm not expecting something like this to happen in Europe. No, so did I'm you so think confident. that Europe was like, before you came, did you yeah, think that I it was had some this, kind yeah, of... Yeah, of course, I had this mentality of like an, the Europe should be in heaven on earth, you know, yeah. so you know, good people and all the time we can do whatever we want to. Mm-hmm. And nothing of racism I have heard. So I'm quite like, I'm quite uneducated on the matter of Europe. So... I see this homeless guys and I'm so scared to my death. Mm. So suddenly run back with the other guys came in the square where the bus dropped us. So sitting there, it's cold, we're shaking. So suddenly we, I see these two brown guys walking through and they just said, called on, we called on them and we, would ask, we asked them, and did we see they're from Pakistan? They're originally like Pakistani, like they've been living in Athens for like last 10, 12 years. And so I speak fluent Urdu and mm-hmm. I started speaking with them in their own language and they were pretty impressed and they were like, yeah, what do you need help with? I was like, we need a place to stay at night and tomorrow we need to find this guy. That's our contact. I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Let's go. And they just like took oh. us through the street and so they took us to their place and they suddenly warm up. They made some food and warmed the shower for us to take a shower and so that was, they were so nice. It's kind of like, so we're in their apartment in the night Like the next day, the whole day was slept. So, and then the next day they woke up and they, again, they were in the shower, they made us some food and so we ate and then we were just talking about things. So they were like, how can we help you now? So we needed an internet cafe where we need, because we, we have no phones. And so we went to an internet, they took us to an internet cafe and we logged in into our Facebook accounts and we found the numbers. We called them and they called it actually and they asked for the address and we found the hostel and they took us to the guy that was in the hostel. 
and he actually did a, said this is your guys and he gave us to the guy to the hostel and they returned and yeah and then i i was in the, that hostel for 20 days and then i started my volunteering because I, i mean i knew english so yeah then the journey started there and is this hostel was it just like a backpackers hostel or was oh it, it was no it was uh, actually a, kind of a refugees hostel refugees the, the hostel. guy was like an afghan guy and he was just hosting like an hostel like a refugees not like a normal tourist right so because uh, that you cannot go to any hostel while you don't have any documents on you yeah. really so, yeah, yeah. You cannot go to really? a hostel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to show a passport. Yeah, or something. you have to show some sort of paper, and we had nothing because we were robbed. And uh, yeah, my whole thing was gone. I had no papers at all. So then, uh, after like being in twenty days, like we started going around and seeing some people, making some friends, and then uh, some of my friends were going to this one organization. They told me about. They were like, "Yeah, you know, there's this nice organization giving clothes and foods and stuff to the people." So I went the first day. So I went in, and there was a guy from Greece, and I saw they were helping people. So I just tried to have a conversation with him, and then there was this one translator there, on the cashier, and I tried to talk to him as well, and then we left. And then I went next day, and then I was sitting on the hot, like they had it like coffee shop. So I was sitting in a coffee shop, and suddenly someone came in and calling like, "Hey, is is there anyone that who can who can translate in Farsi to English? Right? Because we don't have a translator." Sure, and you're I'm like, "Yes, that's me." me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I just came in, and there, there was a girl, and she wanted some stuff, and I translated fully for them, and I helped her out. And then she, they were really impressed, and they were like, hey, "Why don't you just start a volunteering with us?" And and then I, I was like, "Sure." And I started volunteering there. They were like, "You can just come every day here and do a translation for us." So and then uh, during the, all this volunteering, I met this American girl there. So she was from New Jersey, and then like we kind of like started working together in the same projects. Like we were doing a lot together. Like we were, and then we started doing some independent projects together. Like uh, on Saturday evenings, we used to like uh, make food uh, because I was living in the in the camp. And when actually we started like seeing each other, we kind of started dating too. So and then she kind of like she had an apartment and she asked me to move with her rather than being in an organization. Mm-hmm. So I kind of moved with her into our apartment, and then we were just kind of like uh, every Saturday we used to cook there in her apartment and we used to take the food and distribute to the homeless guy in the park like every saturday we used to give those people that were sleeping in the park in the evenings but the organization was only giving them food once a day and then every saturday we used to like make food and giving distributing in the evenings and wow. i was working pretty well and like people get to know us and then they are, she was actually super nice and then we and then i continued there but then she left uh, she went back to us but i still had my apartment So the apartment was left to me and then I actually kind of brought a family. I was kind of like a and then kind of I started a volunteering into another organization. Uh like that was like a, a organization called Provocando La Paz. It's like an Spanish organization. They were empowering like women. Yeah. Like kind of uh, if the women was alone that they had no one to take care of them, they would take in, give them house and give them every support they needed. Or the women that were pregnant, like in their late month, like mm-hmm. eight or seven, or if they had a newborn babies, they would just take them in. Was so, it like refugee women? Yeah, it was or, re- yeah. refugee women empowerment project. And then they would just provide everything they need when they were inside the building. So they had to rent out the whole building of like six floors. So they had a room separate for everyone. So when I started translating there, actually, like I became a translator. That when I was translating the whole thing, I was listening. So I actually, as a human being, I changed a lot in that organization because I was like, I had never been in that position where I had to listen to a woman's that sufferings beside her entire life. That what we as a man make them like suffer, like from everything that we do, how 
and it actually changed my perspective a lot as a person I changed a lot because because I could see it like every action almost we do like there's our one look can hurt someone's feeling and anything we do like could hurt someone and as in a, in a way that even though maybe we don't we're not we don't mean it but it just somehow it hurts but that's why I'm now standing so far like I'm not going partying I'm doing nothing I'm just staying home <laughs> like yeah, I want to be on the safe side I don't want to hurt anyone was that so. the, your first sort of introduction to feminism yes like that was kind of yeah absolutely oh, okay. so uh, it kind of actually changed because I, I'm so good with my family like uh, with my sisters with my mothers I'm quite open but we never talk about this kind of matters actually like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they don't really like care it's kind of stuff like you know I'm their son and we're just always like hanging out together but mm-hmm. when you hear it like as a person like it was actually kind of a huge thing for me mm-hmm. it was kind of like a huge trans- oh. transplant for me to oh. went through my s- myself mm-hmm. So, and then I continued there for six months, actually, and then it was super nice. And then uh, one day, one family was, uh, I heard of a family that was sleeping in the park. So I went to the park and I found the family. She was eight months pregnant. And then they had uh, other two other sons and also the husband. They had sl- they had been sleeping for like almost three days in the park. And there were some guys from Red Cross that came and looked at them and their other organization. No one took them in. So I asked them to come with me to the organization and we, we would go to interview them and then we would give our decision. So uh, the minute they came in uh, for the interview, so when we were, in, we were interviewing them, interviewing them, so we would just give always the answer after 24 hours, would just not give anyone a house right away. So they had no place, they had to go back to the park. And then I had my apartment, which I had a, like a living room and a bedroom. So my girlfriend was also away, so I was alone. So I was like, yeah, why not just, just come in and stay the evening in, at my apartment? So I give them the bedroom. Actually, they had the children, I was like, they need a rest. So I give them the bedroom and I slept in the evening in the living room. And then actually from the next day on, uh, we went to the organization and they actually didn't give them a place. You didn't? No, because they, like, you know, they had, like, a cases that impending, that was much worse than that. Mm-hmm. And they had very little spot left. So I'd rather decide to not let them go in the park. So I I told them to stay with us in that apartment. Mm-hmm. So when they sta- stayed with us, it was her last month pregnancy, and it was just a kind of like, I couldn't let a person like that go on the streets. And then my girlfriend came as well. So, but we were, and then we started living together. We we Big become family. yeah we, we really become a family <laughs> like a, th- we become so close to each other yeah mm-hmm. and uh, like whenever we were leaving the house like their children the minute we would open our door they would run after us because oh. anytime the children would come <laughs> with us we would get them ice cream and <laughs> we would get them something yeah the children were so used to us and still when I'm talking to the family they're like asking us like uh, where's Camille where how are you doing and stuff mm, yeah. even though we're not together with my girlfriend but still they're asking well, where is she and stuff yeah. mm. and they actually miss her a lot because we used to take them always outside and we always like kind of take care of them yeah. and we become like a family we lived like for three to four months together mm-hmm. and then the organization decided to take them in because I persuaded them to otherwise and then well. they took them actually in when I was leaving so my apartment was empty mm-hmm. so I was leaving the apartment empty and I told them and actually I found another organization that wanted to take over their family because they had a newborn child Yeah. And so I was like you know what you just move into this apartment where I'm living anyway I'm leaving I'm going to to another country so you stay in this apartment and uh, there is an organization who is paying your rent so you just have to like find your own food and stuff and actually the guy was like collecting some boxes and stuff in the streets so that was paying for his food mm-hmm. so they were kind of like a quite comfortable before I le- left uh, Athens mm-hmm. and then uh, so me and my girlfriend we decided to move in Iceland together 
Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm now that I'm just wondering, like, when did you get? How did you get to Iceland?